From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. The arrival of December means college semesters are either finished or wrapping up. This was the first university term that happened entirely within the pandemic, and I can't imagine how challenging that was for students, faculty, and staff. There's nobody better suited to give a bird's-eye view of how the 26 Jesuit colleges and universities in the U.S. handled the semester than Father Mike Garanzini, my guest today. Father Garanzini is a Jesuit priest and the president of the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities, or AJCU. He's also the Secretary for Higher Education for the whole Society of Jesus, which gives him a uniquely international perspective. Father Garanzini has worked in higher ed for decades, including a successful 14-year tenure as president of Loyola University Chicago. In addition to talking about this unprecedented semester, we discussed the distinctive value of Jesuit higher ed within an extremely competitive marketplace and what he hopes the Biden administration will do to support college students. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Well, Father Mike Garanzini, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. How are you doing? Thank you, Mike. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Great. So you're here as uh, president of the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities. You've just been on this job since July, which is a crazy time to get started in a higher ed ministry in the middle of a pandemic. So we'll talk about that for sure. But before we kind of launch into your work, I'd love for you to just to introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a sure. bit about your background. Sure. Thank you. I'm, I'm from the what was the Missouri province, now the South Central province. Um and I've been, uh, throughout my, uh, after ordination, I've been in higher ed work for all these years. Um, I won't tell you exactly how many, <laughs> but it's been a long time. So I've worked at several different places and uh, uh, ended up at um, uh, some really wonderful places, SLU, uh, Georgetown, um, and, uh, and Loyola, Chicago, where I spent 14 years as president there. And... Um, and uh, also during that time was asked by Father General to be the secretary for higher education globally. And we started the International Association of Jesuit Universities, IAJU, uh, about three years ago now. So, uh, yeah, about three years now. So uh, it's been a great ride. And then this past year, Father, um, I, I got this offer. I was asked if I would take over the AJCU from Father Mike Sheeran. Um, and Father General said, well, I'll find your replacement in a year. So uh, right now I'm wearing both hats uh, as AJCU president. I came to Washington, D.C. in July uh, to our headquarters here in DuPont Circle. And um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been great. I mean, it's been really enjoyable. It's not been an easy year, which I'm sure we'll get into. But, uh, but basically, that's, that's the story. That's my background. So for folks who might not be familiar with AJCU, how do you describe it if you find yourself on an elevator with someone? Though I guess elevator conversations are less common these days. How might you describe <laughs> we it? We don't talk on elevators. No. Uh, no. Um, but right. I, it's the uh, um, umbrella group for the 28 
colleges and universities. And now we're incorporating Canada, and we've already incorporated St. John's Junior College in Belize. But uh, so it's basically North America. And we're, AJCU is one of six regional associations. We're the oldest, but it's one of six. Um, uh, North Africa, or, or all of Africa, really, uh, Europe, uh, Asia Pacific, South Asia, which is mostly India, um, and um, South America. So there, there's six of these associations, and all the Jesuit universities in those regions belong to that regional association. So, and and what we do, um, since we're the oldest, we've really been at this for 50 years now. Uh, we've had our, our anniversary, and um, we've been we do a lot of work in on Capitol Hill. Uh, so we represent our institutions, and we work along with the Association of Catholic Colleges and Universities, of course. But we're also, because we're old and because we've been at it so long, um, we're pretty powerful. And, and I, I would say um, probably, uh, you know, we, we operate above our weight um, on, on Capitol Hill because we've got, we've got a nice representation from our alums in the Congress, and we usually have really good contacts, uh, you know, with with the, with with every administration. Um, so we, that's one of our jobs. And the other job is to keep us all connected. So we 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 have uh, what we call about forty conferences. These are peer to peer groups of vice presidents and deans and so on. So there'll be a conference of of business deans and a conference of nursing deans, conference of IT vice presidents and so on. Uh, there's 40 of those that we keep track of. And then um, we're changing a bit. We're, we're getting more and more into the business of looking at issues across our network of schools and um, trying to help uh, stimulate ideas, um, look at model programs, foster uh, more collaboration along the lines of the universal apostolic preferences. So um, for example, um, we have a strong effort on sustainability and environmental justice, um, a strong effort on migration and working with various groups like JRS on migration and, get, and getting our faculty especially really involved with those issues and connecting on that level. So the administrators are well connected, uh, the faculty like to be connected, and they uh, they see a, a benefit there, not just across the country, but really internationally. So uh, wearing these two hats right now is kind of an advantage, and, and as we move to becoming much more international in all the things that we do, um, you know, to, in just about every discipline, like just about every discipline, um, it doesn't count to be local, and it doesn't count much to be national. It, it, what really counts is whether the research and the writing has um, a global perspective to it and, and global outreach. So, so that's, that's where we're going with the association. You just hit on four different topic areas I want to talk about. So you did a nice job <laughs> setting us up uh, today to have uh, plenty of things to discuss. So the, the first one I want to ask about is uh, what you mentioned, kind of working as a networker, bringing together groups from across the, the member institutions. So I'm sure you're in touch with leaders from 
the schools all the time. And again, they're coming off of a the, really the first kind of full pandemic semester. And I'm sure we've had a, a mix of approaches there. And we've been kind of watching. I know like higher ed has been in the news kind of all semester long as how will this yeah. experiment work? Will it be all virtual? Will we do some sort of hybrid model? Will we try to bring back everyone in person? Uh, so what at the end of the semester, kind of checking in, what have you heard from around the network? What different approaches were there? Are the leaders leaning on each other for for feedback and advice? Just, yeah, tell me what it's been like behind the scenes uh, at, at AJCU this semester. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, at, let me start with that very last point you made. Are they leaning on one another? Uh, yes, they are. Uh, but every other week, presidents, 20 of the 26 of them or so, usually uh, 28 of them, uh, will gather for just an hour just to check in with each other. And uh, they're leaning on each other, <laughs> not just not just for great ideas and how is it going and what are you doing, uh, but it's um, um, we're leaning on each other emotionally and, and, and psychologically. Uh, it's been really stressful for these guys. Uh, Presidents are doing a wonderful job keeping their community together. But, you know, these campuses are small communities. Uh, high school is a community and a parish is a community, and we know that. But uh, in a university, you've got people actually living on the grounds. Uh, and, and so you're 24-7 you're when you're in session. And maybe there's a break at Christmas time and a break in the summer. But... People are there, and um, like like all of our apostolates, they're incredibly committed to what they do. And so caring for the community uh, in all ways, not just their physical health and their safety, but how they're dealing with commutes and how they're dealing with um, where we eat together and how we eat together and how we celebrate together and how we stay in touch, um, those are all wrapped up in the kind of concerns the presidents have because the president is the kind of the gatekeeper between the the internal community and the external community so they're also dealing with cities and with governors and uh they've got a lot lot on their plate so i've been really impressed the way these presidents have responded and some of them are getting you can tell they're a little tired uh the end of the semester we really saw um, at least I noticed um, there was the, the fatigue factor. So they're looking forward to this little bit of a break. So so they are leaning on each other to, to answer that question. How are they doing? Um, you know, when I look around the the members, um, we've got we've got institutions that have tried to bring everybody back. We have institutions that have limited the numbers that are coming back and living on campus. And we have institutions that have just had to do all virtual. The first thing I think that has to be said is um, this faculty responded extremely well in the springtime when they had to go virtual and institutions just pivoted very nicely in, in a way and let students finish their courses, get their grades and you know, sad graduations online without um, that yeah, that opportunity to have a real ceremony um, and celebrate as, as, you know, these, especially undergraduates have really looked forward to for four years. So it was sad, but, but anyway, we did it. They did it. Then in the fall, everybody thought, you know, we, it's possible that this will let up because 
we forget that back in March, April, and May, we thought this could run itself out, that the lockdowns um, would work, and then it didn't. And so coming back to school, pretty fraught with a lot of anxiety, most of the places have decided that it's hybrid, that they're, if, you, if you're on campus, there'll be classes in person, but there'll also be uh, everything will be online and available online. And then some places had to go almost everybody online. Now, uh, again, we're, they're facing these challenges of, of how to deal with the second semester. It's pretty hard on the seniors um, and it's hard on the faculty who have to figure out if they can handle it and how they're going to handle uh, in-person teaching. And it's, it's hard on the freshmen who, for whom this whole first year was not an opportunity to bond with the campus, with their peers, their fellow freshmen, upperclassmen, get into organizations, you know, all the stuff that college represents. So um, it's been anxiety provoking for any number of people, parents especially, we hear a lot about parents being very frustrated, um, parents that are scared for kids going back and parents that are angry that the kids can't go back, um, you know, giving voice to all those frustrations. Um, that's what they're dealing with now. And, and it's, um, it's a chore for everybody to, to try to figure out the best thing to do. The ray of light um, is the light at the end of the tunnel that looks like there's a vaccine coming and the next fall might be very different but what this spring will look like is going to be hard to predict um, especially as these we're we're here in the you know beginning the month of december tomorrow and it looks looks like we're going to be in another surge um, so What's the best way to move forward? I think that's, I think a lot of presidents are still pondering exactly how to do that. Yeah, it's this time where we have the numbers rising, as you say, but always, you know, this good news about multiple vaccines is coming out. And you can yeah. imagine by the end of this calendar year, next calendar year, or maybe the beginning of the next academic year in the fall, we'll be able to get closer to normal. Though my question for you is, I, again, I, predicting the future is always dangerous, but as someone who has to kind of keep looking forward to the future of higher education, what what impacts do you think this time might have on things? So we're never going to go back to exactly how things were, you'd imagine, right? There'll be something, there'll be new things. Uh, they're yeah. talking, talking about that for, we have a daughter in kindergarten. They're talking about what the future of, you know, K through five schooling might be different. They might have some online things going forward uh, yeah. even when they're back. So what what do you think? How have you seen this changing things uh, maybe for a time after the pandemic has left us? You know, um, there's going to be a real, I think, hunger and appreciation for in-person education. Um, I think as, as, as lucky as we are to have something, some tools, IT tools available to us. These, uh, in this instructional technology that we've got, let's Zoom and so on, uh, is really allowed us to function well, but there's a real new appreciation of how much education 
requires uh, contact, real, real personal contact. To stay alert and to stay awake and to stay focused is really hard for young people who are used to being stimulated not to, you know, teachers are sometimes stimulating, let's face it, but but mostly each other is stimulating. And it's that social part of the school day that people really miss. And that's true from K through graduate school. Uh, it's it's just true up and down the line. And so I, I don't see Zoom replacing the, the in-person classroom. I think there's going to be a new appreciation of just campus community, um, and, and so I, you know, I, I think we will we will get more efficient. You, you know, there's one of the things I think that is going to last is that we don't have to travel so much to have meetings. We could do a lot of our work uh, with Zoom. So maybe maybe there'll be the, in the the business of education might be gaining from this whole experience of Zoom and the efficiency that that brings. But the, 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 real, the, the real educational program is going gonna, is gonna to require um, in-person in contact. And I think we can't, we're not, we can't substitute that with the computers. Does that, does that um, provide a, an opportunity for Jesuit universities in particular? I just think of, again, the, the emphasis on community, communities that gather for learning, but also for prayer and for service and have a real emphasis on the, you know, the cura personalis, right? The care of each person right. entirely. So is that a, play, a way for Jesuit schools to kind of position themselves to say, hey, we've realized what we've lost and Jesuit schools have like a unique gift to offer in providing uh, for this done really well and distinctly? Yeah, Mike, it's a good question. And I think, I think you're on to something there. Um, uh, yes, uh, we talk a lot about cura personalis and, and we know what we mean. We mean, you know, we're really interested in the whole, the whole individual, just their, their psychological well-being, their spiritual well-being, not just their intellectual well-being, their social well-being. So, and, and the school has always been the place where all of those things are valued. It's not, it's not the place where you just get knowledge. It's the, it's the place where you are formed as a human being, a whole human being. And the curriculum is important. Um, humanities have been under attack for a while. Uh, I think Jesuit education has to put the stake in the ground and say, it's about a humanistic education that we exist and this is important to our product and to what we have to offer. And that's where we stand. Because eventually people will come around to seeing that a person who's prepared with skills for the present job market is poorly prepared for the future. Because the present job market isn't going to stay the same. It's going to always evolve and change. So, yes, um, there's, there's that element uh, of our education as well. Uh, you know, and Mike, there's another there's another issue too that I think is important. This COVID experience will be the defining event in the lives of everyone who is seven to twenty seven. This the the young people in this age bracket, high school kids, college kids, college age kids. 
this is the defining event. So this is the, the Great Depression of their, of their era. This is the World War II of their era. And they will always be marked by it. And, and, and what, why am I mentioning that? Because Jesuit education has the capacity to give them a narrative of this time period, of this event. So what did we learn? What did we experience during this time? So when, when this is over, we can take a breather and we can start looking back and we can say, let's go back to normal. And then we realize you can't go back to normal. The world after those events that I, those, those catastrophic events that I just mentioned was not the same and couldn't be the same, even though people wanted it to be the same. That's gonna happen with us. So what do I mean by the narrative? We've discovered more clearly than we thought we knew how interconnected a globe we are. We've discovered our interdependence on, on the rest of the globe and on all kinds of people inside our community that we often ignore and forget. The garbage collectors and the school bus drivers and the etc. all of the mail carriers, <coughs> we've learned how much the little guy and the big guy, the, the, are racially, we've learned how we have to learn to get along. We have to, we have to face our problems and challenge and, and face those honestly and deal with them. So that's just one of the lessons that we've learned. We've learned also what we can do without. We've learned that we don't need certain things and we can live without certain stuff. So what do I mean by this is something for Jesuit education to consider? I think we need to help shape the, the narrative that these people are experiencing, that young people are experiencing, so that when they go into the future, they're, they're global citizens. And they're citizens with a sensitivity to the less fortunate. And the, and the marginalized, because the marginalized and less fortunate are part of this community, and we, we're all depending on one another for a better future, and so we'll have to work together for that. So I think we have the capacity to give a narrative as well as the capacity to refocus on total, what a full formation education is all about. Hey, it's Eric. If you're a longtime listener of this podcast, then you know that when we talk about Ignatian spirituality, well, there's a lot to talk about, a lot of ways to put it into practice, and a lot of practices worth putting in time to learn about. That's why, for Advent, the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States has invited a whole bunch of our friends, Jesuits, collaborators, and some guests from this very podcast to share little spiritual gifts each day, brief insights into how they approach Ignatian spirituality, and how you might too. Head over to jesuits.org advent to learn more and sign up for our daily emails. You mentioned some of these global connections, which I know has been a particular emphasis of yours, kind of having these dual roles as you're talking about and spending time kind of surveying and working with Jesuit higher ed leaders around the world. I, As an American, you might be surprised to hear that my like, vision of what Jesuit higher ed is, is kind of restricted to the US, right? I think about 
college basketball as a kid, like learning about Jesuit schools that way. Uh, but my, so that's a narrow vision. So you, as you described, the pandemic, which has affected the whole world, opens us up to see that we're part of this larger community. How um, so how is AJCU participating in that? What are some of the lessons from the, the kind of global Jesuit higher ed community uh, that you're learning in this time and through your work yeah. on, that, on that level? You know, uh, Mike, there's there's about 200 or so, 205 Jesuit higher education institutions. They're all sizes. They can be a they can be a, a single focus school in a large state-run university, but it's a Jesuit-run private school, private uh, we would call it a college, perhaps. There's and then there's these very complex larger institutions, and that's true all over the world. Um, uh, and what we have in this collection of 200 is a pretty rich, complete set of institutions where we could be doing a lot more collaboration. Um, if, if we want to, if we want to talk about global citizenship, or and what that might look like, and what does that mean to prepare young people for leadership in a global world, not just a national, uh, with just national. Uh, constricted viewpoints on um, if we want to do that, if we want to talk about migration, if we want to talk about um, economic justice around the world, uh, any number of issues, we have the capacity to be immediately con in contact with people from other parts of the globe that have different views than we do, that are important to consider for anything, whether it's research or teaching or uh, advocacy of some sort, and we're pretty good at it. Um, we we have some pretty effective groups that that work on global issues and global problems. And the the U.S. schools, you know, we have faculty that already have these international connections, but when they see how easy it is to make connections at other Jesuit institutions and how quickly those those relationships form. Um, they realize this is a gold mine in terms of their own personal academic interests and their own research, et cetera. Um, so we're more and more uh, faculty are doing this. And in the U.S. Uh, are sometimes leading the way. Uh, the group that's that's responsible for the sustainability and the environment um, is largely U.S. based. There's lots of programs around the world that we're connecting with. But it's been U.S.-led uh, to a large extent. We have we have great science programs and, and environmental studies programs, and they they've come together. So I I think um, there's there are Americans U.S. Uh, faculty involved in all of the six seven task forces that we have on different topics internationally, and sometimes the Americans the U.S. Is, are the leaders of that. So I'm I'm really pleased with that kind of turn outward and uh, looking at the, the global situation in all, in all these areas. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that higher ed is transforming. Um, and I'm sure discussions uh, that are topics that are have been going on for a number of years and will continue uh, in the evolving higher ed world. One of the things I wanted to ask you about specifically was your role when you were at Loyola Chicago helped uh, start uh, Arupe College, which is the, the first Jesuit Community College uh, in the U.S., uh, really a kind of a trailblazing 
project. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. And if you see a project like Arupe College as like kind of portending the, the future of Jesuit higher ed as an area you think that uh, society will be moving into. Yeah. Uh, well, the, you know, um, Arupe is an attempt to um, give a focused education to young people from minority communities who um, won't be necessarily going away to college and living on campus, um, who might be going to a junior college, uh, a community college, where they often get lost, uh, where the schedules are haphazard, you know, and they change every semester and so on. So standardizing the schedule, saying you're going to school every morning, <laughs> you show up at nine o'clock or every afternoon, you're in, in the afternoon session, uh, and you're going to be there every day, and you're going to be in smaller classes, and you're going to be, um, you're going to, it's kind of like um, um, uh, Crystal Ray on steroids. It's like, it's putting this at the, at the next level, at the college level. So what we're doing is, um, with, with the root base, is giving an opportunity for young people to get two more years of experience, and there's a lot of change that goes on between 18 and 20. Um, there's a lot that happens that young people really grow up. Um, when, you, when you work on a regular college campus, the difference between a freshman and a junior is great. It's a, it's a large, there's a large difference. There's a lot of maturing that goes on in those two years. You know, your, your families have pretty much let you kind of get on with your life and encourage you to be more free and uh, whether they want you to or not you take more freedom and you make more decisions and you you learn whether or not you can you can really manage on your own so giving young people especially from communities where they where the parents just didn't have that background giving them the opportunity to really be formed for two more years in college level work um, tight schedules strict guidelines um, you know uh, it's in some ways a continuation of high school uh, structure, Jesuit high school. But we know how to do those, and we know how to do them well, and and the rupees work. So we've got a couple now, a uh, couple in the pipeline. And uh, Father Steve Katsouros is, um, I know, is is um, he stepped down from the first Arupe. Father Tom Neitsky took over that Arupe at Loyola, and. Father Katsouros is working now on where do we go next? How do we go next? Uh, talking with people that are interested in starting these. So um, it's, a, it's a chance for us to get a whole new number of, of um, young people who need access to higher education. You give them an education where they have no debt for two years and then, and they've, then they've got half that degree behind them. They've got 60 hours behind them, and they're older. And when they go to borrow for their last two years of college, they know what they want, and they know they can do it. They know they can get the – so when they do borrow to complete college, it's not a gamble. It's not a gamble for them. It's not a gamble for the bank or the government, wherever they get the money. Um, this is a chance for them to – you know, get that degree, pay off much less debt, but the security of knowing I can do the work and I know how to survive is the gift of Arupe, I think, to, 
to these folks. So um, I'm encouraged. And I think, you know, we've got, I know this is going to be a little, some people are going to think I'm crazy, but um, I don't know, that's happened before. Uh, so we need to open more of these institutions. I know, I know we're thinking of oh, some of these institutions now aren't going to make it and so on. You know, when in the nineties, when, uh, when we thought we may have to give up some of our high schools because we just couldn't afford to manage them all and staff them all. What happened? We didn't close any high schools. They invented the Christo, we, the Holy Spirit invented the Cristo race the, uh, system. And now we got 35 more. So I think we've got to look at this as a moment for the spirit, let the spirit work in, in where there are, where there are, there's a real need for these kind of programs in other cities, other communities. We've got to go in and start them. And we don't, we don't have to have Jesuits to do all these things. We've got, we've got plenty of Jesuit collaborators that have all the leadership skills that we need to, to, to advance this program. So I'm hoping I'm hoping we can get a whole new system going with the root base. That's great. I know you mentioned, uh, you know, some concern about like the existential concern around some institutions of higher learning that maybe you know, high schools had faced uh, at a certain time. And I know, again, this is a conversation that goes back well before the, the pandemic started. How do we survive in this crowded marketplace? You mentioned some things I think that can help distinguish Jesuit schools. We talked a little bit about that, but what are you hearing from leaders? What do you think as a past president yourself, uh, what do Jesuit schools need? What Jesuit higher ed schools need to to thrive, to flourish in this competitive higher ed marketplace? Yeah, yeah. And maybe it's not one answer. For, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. But no, it, it is. It, there probably isn't a one size fits all. But I do think there's some real, real important things. I think we have to really stress the humanistic foundation of our education and the, 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 the liberal values that come with a humanistic education. We're educating the whole person, and we're educating a person for uh, with a value-centered education. Um, it's not just about getting a job at the end of, of four years. It's about launching a life so uh, and a career and really a vocation, not just a career but a vocation. So that's what we're doing, and we got to be clear about that. That should distinguish us. That should help us. The second thing is we have to get clever, too, about where the needs are. Um, you know, there's, there's 3 million 18-year-olds ready for college every year, and there's 25 million adults that didn't complete college. So what are we, how, are we, how are we reaching into that market? Um, one of the things that the pandemic is doing is it's and, and its stress on institutions is it's making collaboration a lot more attractive. Uh, so I think in within the community, we have to start looking at are we willing to collaborate with other institutions that have our share our values, share our mission? Are we willing to to, to advance that, pull together and you know, um, we're able to share expenses. We're able to share uh, lots of interests and so on. And we're able then to do more if we do more collaboration. So are there local collaborations with healthcare institutions, for example? Um, are those the kinds of areas where there, there really are jobs 
there really is a need and there's a need for humanely trained um, workers. If you look at Je uh, Jesuit colleges, universities now, um, in terms of some of the, the challenges going forward, there are fewer Jesuits on campuses now than there would have been, say, 50 years ago. Uh, how do schools work at keeping their Catholic Jesuit identity when there are fewer Jesuits around? And how important is that to them? Uh, well, Mike, it's really important to all of them. Um, I know every one of them, the presidents have talked about this. They talk about it a great deal. How are we preparing people for the mission, um, the mission and the ministry that is our apostolate? And so that's a new language in some places. It's really, it really has taken off. They uh, most, most places have a, a vice president for mission and identity. That vice president um, usually is, it, well, they all are steeped in Ignatian spirituality and Jesuit education. And they, and they are responsible for forming others. And so Every campus has formation programs, and we discover quite a few colleagues that like the mantle. So, and they're at, you know, they're at all levels of the institution. There's there's new staff and new faculty that come to us specifically because they want a mission centric uh, job. They 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 don't want to just just teach or just work at a place where their their skills are used, but they want to be part of a community that's forming young people in a, in a particular direction. Um, so we have that. We have, we have older colleagues that say, you know, I've done my thing. Um, I know I'm good at X, Y, and Z. I have a reputation. I have scholarship. I have, I have paid my dues professionally. But I want to do something more. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where um, I, I want to know what this has been about. And I want to look back and see whether my career uh, is telling me something about my real vocation in life. And so we have older uh, committed faculty and staff that are saying, tell me more about, about this Ignatian stuff. Uh, where's a retreat I can go on? Uh, I heard about this 19th annotation retreat. So where do we get to do that? And so when you look on the web, you look at every one of these schools, there's more and more Ignatian material programming going on all the time. And that's, so that's real, that's encouraging. It's interesting um, to hear that from the faculty perspective, just because I think of, you know, schools having opportunities, so many opportunities for students to participate through, whether it's campus ministry or, or other avenues, but to really kind of focus on the formation of faculty. That's interesting. It sounds like maybe a newer area of emphasis. Yeah, Mike, it is. Um, and there's some really interesting programs, you know, seminars that faculty belong to. And for, for the semester of the year, they'll, they'll be reading, talking, writing about um, topics related to Jesuit history, Jesuit education, Jesuit spirituality, mostly. Um, but they'll, but there really are interesting groups going on. And, um, and, you know, they, they're different um, depending on the culture of the place and what's attractive and probably the, the leaders, you know, how, what they're comfortable with doing. So they, they differ, but there's, there's some real, there's some real strong and interesting programs that um, we're teaching one another about and trading secrets and trading, trading uh, ideas for advancing this among the faculty. The, the key the key is the faculty. Um, besides the leadership question, do the leaders, 
from the president on down really understand that this is what this is what distinguishes you. Um, you know, your your city, your community, the nation doesn't need another Princeton or Harvard. What we what they what we need is we need institutions locally that have this global outreach and have a real vision for what the future could be if certain ideas and values are promoted. And um, the, the, the Jesuit vision of, of caring for a planet, caring, caring for one another, caring for the marginalized inclusivity um, uh, on, at all levels, racial and cultural and so on, that, that vision that guides us is, um, is, an, is an important vision for every community, for some institution in every community and among every group of institutions to, to, you know, to, um, to have represented. And so we don't need another Stanford Business School. We have one in, in Silicon Valley. We need, we need a business school that isn't interested in the same things that Stanford's business school is interested in. And I can go this, I can say this going up and down both coasts and through the middle to the heartland. Uh, we don't need more of what we already have. We need something that's uniquely able to offer a vision of hope. Mm. We've covered, I think, most of the areas under the AJCU umbrella, except for some of the, the stuff that your colleagues are working on in Washington, uh, some of the, the public policy questions, and especially now as we're preparing for a new Congress and new presidential administration, just what, what are some of the, the issues that uh, your folks who are working on Capitol Hill and working with lawmakers, what are, what are they concerned about? What are some of the things that they want to lift? And do they see an opportunity now with this kind of changing of leadership? Or, yeah, just curious about what they're focused on. Yeah, Mike, it's been tense uh, with the president administration. Um, there's there's been a feeling that um, higher education has been uh, demonized, um, you know, labeled a problem, not really cooperating, not really helping the the little guy. Uh, and I think that I think the president administration liked to stoke that and keep it going. And a lot of a lot of uh, several policies that we hope the Biden administration will overturn pretty quickly. Um, there's no there's no reason to keep 800,000 DACA students in, in limbo. There's no reason to, you know, to reduce that status. These, these young people are making enormously positive contributions to the country. They, they, they are, they're, they're totally integrated. They've never lived anywhere else uh, since they were children or small infants even. And, uh, and there's no reason to not just end that silly issue. This is really, a, this is a, this is just a football that keeps getting tossed around that is a waste of time, I think. And so let's solve that problem. There, there've been a number of other things, um, a number of other attempts to, uh, to, to really, uh, cut down on, um, international students coming to our institutions. Great loss. These are the best. These are the best people from around the world that want to come and study here. Um, some of them, you know, would like to stay after they're here. They're extremely well trained, and they're really they really can make great contributions to our economy. 
why why we want to make it difficult, why we want to send these people to the United Kingdom or to Australia or to Canada. I have no idea, unless there's a there's some kind of um, desire to help boost their economies. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't it doesn't seem to me to be self serving at all uh, for for an administration that is extremely self serving. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm showing my my colors here, but I really do think that several of these kind of policies really uh, could could use another look, and we can end some of the nonsense that that we're seeing. Um, so we've got a list of things that we've uh, cooperated on with many other, many, many, many other, not just institutions, but many other associations of institutions. Uh, so the higher ed community is really looking forward to seeing a real change here. It does. Let's get on with it. Right. We, we have a lot to contribute. It does seem like uh, having been in the, the D.C. Jesuit world a bit, there are so, so many alumni connected in some way to, to government and often allows the Jesuits in to have, you know, to kind of lift their voices. I, I just thinking even of a, a, a immigration uh, event that our Office of Justice and Ecology put together uh, a committee event inviting members of senator staffs and they had a connection with the staff uh a chief of staff or a senator who had a Jesuit degree and then so got all these other people to attend and they had a great turnout at this event to kind of hear hear from a dreamer and to hear from uh, some immigration experts. Um, so do, do you find that, that there's good, you have a good chance to do some of that networking because of the, yes. yeah. Yeah, but our Jesuit network is really strong yep. and uh, whether it's staffers or senators and representatives themselves, we we have we have good contacts. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's like belonging to a certain, uh, you know, fraternity or sorority, you, know, there, you have an immediate uh, bond, it seems, uh, with people that have gone through judge education. And, and once they discover each other, uh, you know, they, they, they bond too. So it's, it's kind of neat to see. Sure. One last question before I let you go. So you've been doing this job five months, pretty much exactly now in this kind of crazy time. What keeps you going? What keeps you hopeful? How do you stay sane uh, in the midst of this, this madness? Well, I, there's a couple things that keep me hopeful. One is these incredibly uh, talented university professors and administrators that really carry on this um, important apostolate. Um, they're talented, they're gifted, they and they're and they're and they're they're really uh, committed. So that's the one thing. Another another thing is the young is the young people. Um, you know, you, you um, it's really hard to be pessimistic when you work with young people, because even when they're pessimistic, you can have, you see past them and you think you've got so much of life yet and you've got so many things to give, you're gonna be okay. And we're gonna be okay as long as you keep going in this right direction. So so the young people's the other one. I'll tell you, to be really honest with you, this three vaccines <laughs> really are making me very hopeful because this has really been tough. A tough period on everybody, and uh, oh, I see. You know, I see the I see the frustration and the um, the, the the really the tired how tired some people are with this, but we'll get through it. Well, Father Mike, thanks so much for your your leadership. Thanks so much for spending the time uh, chatting today. I learned a lot, and uh, thank you also for yeah for yeah. the way you push the directions you're pushing folks and moving folks and help it working with them in, uh, and and be really interesting to see uh, what the next months and years hold and have a blessed Advent season and a, and a Merry Christmas. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for having me. Thanks.
AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>